when I get to heaven, um, there's a lot of people I think I want to meet, family and different things. But to be honest with you, there's probably two people. They're, they're one and two on my list when I get to heaven. I, I can't wait to hang out with Apostle Paul and Peter. I like him. He's just impetuous and gets himself in trouble with his mouth. And that just makes me happy. But um, the two that I really want to spend time with is Daniel and Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, would be considered probably my all-time favorite guy. Um, he had an assignment that no pastor in the world would ever want, but he did it well. And he did it not so much in, in such a beautiful way in the book of Jeremiah, but in the book of Lamentations, it was his gift to the nation. Because I think one of the things is that we don't know how to grieve well. We get stuck in our grief. Uh, maybe, I don't know about you, but my 2022, I give it a four. Now I know you're, I'm supposed to be religious and happy and, and full of Jesus and everything else. But just allow me a moment of honesty. It's a four. Somebody asked me, man, what was 20 and 21 for you? It was a seven or eight. It, it was. I mean, there was fights and, you know, people left and people came and, and there was all kinds of things. But there was a sense of focus to it. 2022 was like a relapse, emotional relapse for a lot of people. And um, I, I think it was a four. So uh, 2023, I cannot wait. However, I do remember Carrie and I had a really, really rough 1993. And I said, man, 1994 has got to be better. And it wasn't. <laughs> so brace yourself. 2023 might be a doozy. Catherine Meyer, she was one, it's the first time that I ever saw it. She introduced a, a word to me, amortality, not immortality without death or with no death, but amortality. What is it? See, because we become a culture committed to amortality. Amortality as she defines it um, is disguising limiting or deferring the normal process of aging. We don't like aging. I'm not sure. I get that. I really don't. Every gray hair I get, I'm like, hallelujah. I earned that one. Somebody asked me one time, do you color your hair? I know people ask pastors anything they want. <laughs> like, have you expanded your belt? Are you using a bigger belt? Dead serious. This, this lady did that one time. But there was another person that came and she said, Are, do you color your hair? And I was like, I beg your pardon. Does this look like colored hair? I mean, if I, you know, and, and, and I said, with all due respect, ladies, I don't mean to offend you, but women color their hair. Um, but then she reminded me of some long time ago ad, Grecian formula. Is that right? So if y'all use that, can you raise your hand? No, just kidding. Get your hands down. Salvation is later. I, 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 I'm, man, my, my goatee, I keep it only because it tells people that I'm not 39. I, I really don't mind. But, but amortality is this 
passion in our culture. Well, what's it look like? It looks like um, uh, Botox. It looks like plastic surgery, about 90% of them. There's some plastic surgery that is, you know, so needed, an accident, a fire or something. But, but the vast majority of plastic surgery, uh, she argues, Catherine argues, is nothing more than trying to disguise, limit, or push off the aging process. The reason why you probably shouldn't fight it is because a dear friend who lost his wife yesterday said to me, the aging process happens. And it does. It does. You can't push it off. And one of the things that keeps us from pushing it off, Jeremiah reminds us, is suffering. Now, this is not going to be a gloomy sermon. It's not going to be, oh man, we're going to talk about suffering. Not, not very much, actually. We're going to talk about how to move through the process of grief. Because I beg, I would suggest that, that probably all of us have a number of things, as Pastor Tyler talked about in 2022, that we want to forget. Some of you want to forget the whole year. Uh, some of you are still lingering from 19 and 20. And what Jeremiah gives us he was given an assignment that no one would want. When he was young, God called him into ministry and said, you're going to preach to my people. My people are going into slavery under the Babylonian Empire. This is in Jerusalem where he's landed. This is approximately at about 586 BC. So 586, 590 years before Christ comes, the nation of Israel is going into a, a period, a time, 70 years, and Daniel and Jeremiah lived through that. One was the one who kind of led from within and the other one who spoke from without. He would preach his entire career and to our knowledge have no converts. He would preach his entire career and the church wouldn't grow. In fact, it declined. He would preach his entire life. And the only person that had any sense of loyalty to him was his secretary. Everybody else, including his family, thought he'd lost his mind and ran away from him. That's why I, he had an assignment that no one would want. And yet, in this text, he is telling himself... And the nation, no matter what 2022 is like, there's hope. And if you hold on to this, you look forward to the future, no matter how difficult the past was. But what he doesn't let you get away with is thinking that the Christian life is easy. It's not. Sometimes the road gets rocky. Sometimes there's challenges. Sometimes God calls you, as he did Jeremiah, to a really, really arduous and difficult task. And some of you, my friends, you've been called to that. It's in your family. It's in your vocation. It's in your relationships. And you'd like to like, whoa, I just want to get out of here. I'm going to move somewhere. I'm going to just reinvent myself. And the reality is you can't because wherever you go, you look yourself in the mirror and go, wow, you showed up. Sometimes life gets rocky. They did for Jeremiah. Let's look together. Chapter 3 in the book of Lamentations. This is how he describes it. He goes, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. It's not I have been rejected by people. It's not that my mom and dad deserted me. It's not that my brothers left me. It's not that I'm serving a bunch of, you know, hard-hearted individuals. It's God's come after me. 
And to the best of my ability, Jeremiah really didn't rebel. He, he, he was struggled. He, he had moments where he kind of questioned and God had to say, hey, dude, if running with men is going to be difficult, then running with horses is going to wipe you out. And by the way, that's my vision for you, Jeremiah. You're going to run with horses. You're going to be the kind of person that faces the challenges and you're going to run with horses. You're going to far surpass men. But he goes on and he says in verse 2, he has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. All you have to do is get up in the middle of the night, turn all the lights off and go running. And you find out that's really not a nice assignment. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He goes on to even describe his life as like God living with you is like being mauled by a bear. Now, some of you just simply don't have permission to talk to God that way. You don't. You've been raised that it's a, you always have to be happy. You always have to be kind and you always have to speak well. And so you're not going to understand this guy because that, you know, that, that kind of life was beaten out of you. You, you were told and scolded. If you ever have a bad day, if you can't ever muster yourself in the joy of Jesus, Jeremiah takes us out of that serendipitous and syrupy kind of relationship and says, you know what? There's going to be some days, there's going to be some seasons, there's going to be some assignments that you just as soon say, God, go ahead and find somebody else. Some days the road is going to get rocky. A friend of mine had a son. He was a pastor. He had a son that rebelled. He didn't just walk away from the Lord. He walked away from the family. He didn't walk away passively either. He walked away with the passion to not only annihilate their God, but to destroy his very own family. My friend said there was days when I got up that I simply didn't want to live. I didn't want to face the assault knowing that it was my flesh and blood. I didn't want to watch my wife cry herself to sleep at night. Sometimes the road gets rocky. But Jeremiah says, even in the midst of that, there's hope. Look with me, chapter 3, at verse 21. He's rehearsed all of this. God, you've mauled me. You've taken advantage of me. He even uses language. It's harsh. He uses language like a man who wrongly takes advantage of a woman. And he throws that back on God. And he says, God, this is what I feel like. I feel like I've been mauled by a bear. I feel like I've been just scratched up like a, by a lion. And, and to be honest with you, I, I, it's difficult. And yet then there's this almost shocking whiplash turn in verse 21 where he says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What is it? And how is it that you and I can find hope? It begins when he remembers the character of God. 
Not when he focuses on the difficulty. Not even when he focuses on the assignment. Not when he focuses on the challenge that is ahead of him. And it's still there. But what happens is... He says to himself, yet this I call to mind. In other words, I tell my mind what to think about. Mind, get off of the response. Get off of the betrayal. Get off of your mom and dad who have been unfaithful to you. Get off your spouse. Get off even your rebelling child. Where do you throw your attention? He says, I go to the character of God. If you look at verses 31 through 39, he goes through and he begins to rehearse his great and unfailing love. His passion, his deliverance, his justice. And he begins to intentionally, in that moment, start to recall, what do I believe about God? Not what do I experience right now? Not even how do I feel? And the person that makes it well, that grieves well, that doesn't set life aside, doesn't quit, that takes even disappointment well, is a person that in moments, says to their mind, mind, you need to think about God. What do you believe about him? And even though Jeremiah had experienced one of the most difficult assignments in the scriptures that I understand other than Jesus Christ, he says, I have thought about God and I've come to the conclusion that he is kind, that he is compassionate, that he is loving, that he is just, that what he's doing with the nation of Israel and even what he is doing with my assignment is somehow not punishment to me or not because he's disgusted with me. Because there's actually no indication at all that God is disgusted with Jeremiah. In fact, there's every indication that he's delighted in his pastor. The challenge is that for a lot of us, we live our experience, we get our focus on things, and that begins to shape what we think and believe and feel about God. Jeremiah tells us, if you're going to have hope, And if you're going to grieve well and you're going to respond well, hope comes when we remember the character of God. But it also comes when we encounter the rhythms of grace. It will help you. And that's where I think you need to begin. You need to begin with your conviction. What do I believe about God? Do I believe he loves me? Do I believe he's kind? Do I believe he's sovereign? Do I believe that he is over all people, including uh, irreligious and unjust leaders? Do I believe that God has all authority and the only authority that any person on this earth has is derived authority underneath the authority and the leadership of God? Do I believe that? Yes. And therefore, in any given situation, no matter how unjust and how cruel and how mean a person may be to you or to me, I can rest in that moment if 
I remind myself. What do I believe about God? Do I think this person who's treating me wrongly is outside of the authority and the leadership of God? Or do do I believe they come under him? But next, he tells us that we have to encounter the rhythms. Verse 22 says, because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Verses 25 and following. Jeremiah is really a poet. He's creative. And he's begun every word with the same letter. And from 25 through, uh, I think it's through 31, he begins... It doesn't show in the English text, but he begins every sentence with one single word, good. God is good because of his great love and his compassions for us never fail. God is good and his compassions are new every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. And every verse, again, it doesn't show it in the English, but if you were to go back in the Hebrew, it shows that every sentence begins with the same letter and every word in this section begins with what? Good. I want you to know of the goodness of God. What's it look like? And he gives us in particular two words to focus on. Number one, He gives you the concept of love. The word is hesed. It's a word that speaks of a sovereign and just and powerful God. It gives the words of one who is loyal. It's a person who is loving and loyal and powerful enough to fulfill his desires. It's a person whose love is not conditioned upon response. It's a person whose love and commitment to you is a settled deal. Your loving kindness, your great love towards me. Meaning, God, you've made a promise to me and you're never going to alter on that promise. And then he goes to this second word, compassion. It's used... Of a woman who protects her infant in her womb. She has a feeling of compassion. It's, it's an emotion. It's a delight. But it's a protective delight. It's a compassion. Meaning she, she changes her behavior. There's certain things that she won't drink. Why? Because she's pregnant. There's certain things she's not going to eat. She takes care of herself. There's certain medications or things that she will take. Why? Because she delights and loves what is inside of her. Let me summarize what Jeremiah is saying about God. God, you're loyal to me. And when you look at me, you smile because you delight in me and you feel about me the way a mom feels about their child. God, you love us. You delight in us. His great love, his compassion. 
And then he says in verse 23 something that probably a lot of us have sung about. There's a lot of hymns. His mercies are new every morning. And why would he say that? Why would he remind us? They're new every morning. Your compassions, your mercies. It's because sometimes the enemy whispers in your ear, God's had enough of you. You blew it too many times in 2022. You've taken God's grace and you've stretched it beyond. And Jeremiah is writing to a nation who is under siege, who is under the discipline of God. He's not writing this for himself. This is a corporate lament that he's writing for the nation of Israel. Who's experiencing a 70 year discipline by God. And he's telling them, when you wake up tomorrow, God's not done with you. His promise to love you, he's not quit on. His delight in you and his feeling towards you, it hasn't changed Your rebellion has brought the consequence of this discipline. But don't think for a moment that this discipline has changed the very nature of God. He still loves you. He still feels things towards you. And he still has a vision for you. And he's not stopped. And therefore, there's hope. There's hope. Even though you are experiencing something, it's the rhythms of grace. And when I say the term rhythm is because Jeremiah says they're new every morning. Every morning when you wake up, God says, I have a fresh supply. I'm not running out. I'm not weary. I have a fresh supply for you today. When you got up today, it's a new year and everyone wishes you a happy new year. I love new years. Love, love, love new years. Because 2022 is done. Water under the bridge. It's over. 2023 is here. And, and so it's, it's new. And, and, you know, wages and earning and new taxes. Hallelujah. And all of those things. <laughs> all kinds of new laws. I read about them this morning. There's a whole lot of new laws, most of which I probably don't like. But the fact is, the new year gives you a new start. And, and I thoroughly love that. Why? Because it's conceptually coming from the scriptures. And that is, every morning God says, I have a new supply of love and compassion for you. I never weary giving it out. I never get tired. And then he says in verse 24, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. That's a great word. Where where would they use that? The term portion. When you uh, were raised in this area, your livelihood was based upon one thing. That is, if you're not lazy. If you're lazy, you're in trouble. But really, your livelihood, your capacity to make it is based upon one thing. It's the property that you own. And they called it your portion. You could work it, you could cultivate it, you could raise cows on it, you could raise sheep on it, or you could lease it. But it was your portion, and your portion and your cup is a way of saying it's your livelihood. It's the very thing that you own, it's the thing that gives you the capacity to make a living. So Jeremiah, if you, with that understanding, look at this again. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. God is my lot. 
God is my property. God is my livelihood. God is my life. Why? Because every day God is going to infuse in me a new supply of compassion and love and loyalty and affection and delight every day. And there will be days you wake up and it's like, man, Lord, I, the days of, of, of a son attacking you. The days of, of maybe a tragic divorce that you didn't plan on and you don't want. But it's those days that you realize I've been given a portion and that portion is the supply of God's grace and his love and it's new every morning. Whether you feel like it or not, Jeremiah wants the nation, he wants us to know that there's not a day that you wake up when the sun rises that God doesn't say, I have an ample supply of my loyalty for you. And I will love you and I will lead you And I delight in you. I have affection towards you. For those of you who grew up with a God who is angry all the time. It doesn't come from the scriptures. For those of you who grew up with a God who is much more like an electrical circuit of which it's it's a source of power that you either use, manipulate, or try and manage. That's not the picture of God. Electricity doesn't have compassion. It doesn't have delight. It doesn't smile. It just is. And Jeremiah wants in particular this grieving group of people to know God is never going to forget you. He's never going to walk away from you. He's loyal. And he doesn't look at you with disgust. He delights in you. Therefore, there's hope. Catherine Green McCreed She was diagnosed uh, fairly early on in her adult life with a a bipolar mental disorder. She struggled at a high, high level with depression. And in her book, based upon Psalm 88, she writes, and, and I will quote her, if it is the love of God that we see in the face of Christ Jesus, that has promised to pull us through, a love that bears out the edge of doom, even for the ugly and unlovable such as we, then the statement that love heals depression is in fact the only light that exists in the dark tunnel that I find myself. I think Jeremiah hit moments of depression and discouragement that would frighten us. And yet he brings his nation and he brings his people to the place that he went. I have come to the place, he says, where I've learned to focus on the character of God. I have experienced the love and the compassion of God. But there's two things that Jeremiah does that I think are necessary to get there. Number one is silence. You have to be silent. He says, yet this I call to mind. 
He's not speaking. He's not complaining. He's reflecting. And he's thinking in his own life. And he's reflecting, but he has to be silent. Now, I'm addicted to noise. I don't mind saying it. I am. I mean, I, um, I go out into the barn in the morning. Oh, man. Ooh, those horses are rocking and rolling. They love Southern rock, too, in particular. They really do. In fact, if I play kind of goosey-goosey music, um, we have a little rule, Christmas music for December only. So praise God this morning, we're back to Southern rock and roll. I think if horses were like cows and gave milk during the month of December, they'd curdle it. But the fact is, I love music. I love sound. It is, takes an enormous discipline for me to be silent. I'm a verbal processor. I, ver- I verbally process ideas. I, I sit with staff and we talk things through. And the idea of just sitting in my office and pondering and thinking doesn't come naturally. In, fra- in fact, I have to literally almost chain myself to the chair. But there's some things I'm convinced that you will never discover about God if you don't learn to close your mouth. And if you don't block things from your ears... Because he says, yet this I call to mind. You see, he's silent. He says, later in silence, I wait. Why is it important? Because it's then you begin to think about God. You begin to think about his character. And you begin to think about his compassion. And you go back, as Tyler said, and you you begin to look back and reflect where was God? God was here. The other day I was, I was silent and I realized that I had experienced an answered prayer. It was really a glorious gift. It just wasn't my prayer. And in fact, it wasn't anyone's prayer that I know of. I think it had to be Jesus or the Holy Spirit. But I walked into the situation and I thought, oh God, you saw before I ever got here what I needed. And and in fact, I would have never thought to pray for this. It was beyond anything I could ever imagine or expect. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. And, And when I realized it and when I paused for a moment and I just reflected on that, that's when I discovered, you know what, Mark, you never prayed for that. You didn't even have the brains to think about that. God is compassionate. And sometimes you only realize that when you're silent. And sometimes you only realize things in life is when you choose to wait. But waiting is not passive. Waiting is not passive at all. In fact, he he says in verse 40, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we've sinned, we've repelled, and you have not forgiven us yet. Waiting is really important and our culture hates it. I've more than a few times told you that I put a minute on the microwave and I stop it 10 seconds early because I'm impatient and I want to get to it. And I've learned to live with lukewarm food much easier than waiting longer. 
It's pathetic, I know. Please forgive me. I don't like waiting. But if I'm going to experience and understand the character of God, I must. I must choose in the moment where I want to do something to cease. When I want to solve something, I must trust. When I want to resolve something and get on with it and be finished with it, I must surrender to the sovereign leadership of God and realize in that moment of waiting for this issue to be resolved, for this problem to be done away with, that in that moment, God says, I have an assignment for you. Listen. Recall the character of God. Recall the experiences, the answered prayers. And when you do that, Jeremiah says, the context of the world doesn't change, but your heart and your mind does. Nothing's changed for the nation. He's writing this probably from Jerusalem. It's 586. They've experienced the difficulty, but he's telling the nation, God may not make your life better, but he can give you hope. Because hope comes not when your problem is solved, but when your God becomes real. And you understand. You're loving and you're compassionate and you delight in me and you're for me. I get asked very regularly, God asked this week, Pastor, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? And I, f- I finally come to the conclusion. I felt for years, uh, about 36 of them, um, that I was supposed to have a favorite verse. It's kind of like the pastoral assignment. What's your favorite verse? I finally became comfortable with saying I don't have one. And I'm not trying to be, you know, it's like I, just, I didn't say, I like the whole Bible. I, I don't know that there's a verse. I will tell you, I've come to a favorite chapter. It's Romans 8. And when you follow through Romans 8, he begins with this, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he moves through the adoption that each of us have experienced and that adoption that takes away fear. And that he's moved into the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And he finishes this thing with this glorious statement. God's love is so powerful, so glorious. There is nothing in all of the world that can separate you from God's love. From freedom from condemnation to security of his love. Jeremiah says, my friends, that's where hope is. That's where your hope is. 2022, I'll give it a four. Wasn't all that good. Don't want to live it again. I don't. I praise God it's 2023. I have no idea if it's going to be harder. I'm glad if it's going to be harder, God doesn't tell me. I'd probably just, you know, wuss out. But the fact is, 2022 was not fun. But I don't look at 2023 as hope simply because it's a new year. I look at it with hope. Because this morning when you and I woke up, God said, I have a fresh supply. But the only way you discover his compassion and his love is if you're willing to be silent and if you're willing to at times wait and God will pull back the curtain 
And you will see his love. You will see his compassion. And it will inspire you. I got an email this morning. Somebody showed me a picture of their church. I remember praying in this country where they live. Men seldom go to church. Seldom. And I was sitting with this family. I remember it. I remember where I was sitting. And I prayed, God, would you fill this church with men who love their wives, who worship before their daughters, who lead their sons in a country where it is not noble for a man to follow God? Would you fill this church? And this dear sweet friend sent me a picture this morning of their church and worship service today. It was filled with men. There's hope, my friends. Not because it's 2023. But if you pause and silence yourself and you tell your mind, I want you to think about God right now. He'll unpack his compassion and his love. And no matter what you face this year, you're going to have hope. It's going to energize you and it's going to cause you to worship. Why? Because God is in your life and that gives us hope.